This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. There was a trade today in the Canadian Football League. The Ticats traded C.J. Gable. White uh, flag. Well, partially. Partially, I think. He, all, he, had a, he was going to be a free agent at the end of this year, and they may not have, they, they've got some other guys at running back. They may have thought they could sign for a little cheaper, and he's getting up in years, and they can get something for him. A bunch of different things. But here's the part of this that I just find so bizarre. The CFL has negotiation lists, which are these secret lists that you can put a certain number of players and you can claim them and they are now your property. Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel was one of them. And some of them are, most of them are kept very secret. Some of them leak out. How can you have a trade announced in a league where you're not, the public is not told who you've traded for? Because the Ticats got two guys on Edmonton's neg list, but we have, and we've heard that maybe they are offensive linemen. This, this to me does not, this sounds, this is a ridiculous way to do business in a league. Once you've actually made a trade for somebody on the other team's neg list, they should have to be named. Hey, who did we get? Even if the teams don't want to help sell their own product, the league should step in and say, no, this would, this would seem to be something fans might be interested in and might create discussion around the coffee shop or the bar or whatever. We're going to tell you who they traded for. That seems to me like a basic, that's a starting point. It's ridiculous that they don't use that, you're right, as a marketing tool. And it, I don't understand the basis of it. Who cares? Who cares who's on the Hamilton Ticats negotiation list? Is it done to protect the team so that people and fans don't say, well, why don't you go pick up that Radley? You got Maybe. him on your negotiation list. Maybe, that's part. And we'd be a lot better instead of being 0-8. If you picked up five of those guys on your negotiation list, maybe it's to protect the teams from themselves. Well, you could be onto something there that we don't want to make the fans get antsy because you haven't signed so and so. I mean, look at this year. We we heard the Ticats had Robert Griffin the third quarterback, Colin Kaepernick a quarterback, uh, Manziel, Johnny Manziel a quarterback. They didn't sign anything. It looks like they are probably going to sign Johnny Manziel, but they they didn't. They haven't signed any of them yet. And it was a bad so, week. Well, timing was awful. But part of what the Ticats did, if you recall, at the beginning of the year, they did something very unusual. And um, Eric Tillman, the general manager of the team, actually did some videos on the team's website talking about some of the guys who were on their neg list. This was so inspiring, the Ticats opened this with this, that it inspired exactly zero other teams to do the same. Nobody else does it. This is this secret, the, the cone of silence descended as it does always. Are they not allowed to? They're allowed to. The Ticats did it. So, they don't want to do so it So their individual reason. team policies to not say who's on negotiation. And I don't have a problem with that. I mean, it, I think it's better for the league if you put it out there so it's a it talking point. some interest. But if you're going to allow a trade for somebody, surely you have to know who you're trading for. Wouldn't the other well, team? Well, the good news is you won't get judged on it. Well, that's see, <laughs> but is that not part of then the thing? Like, are are the tie cats? And it sounds as though they have got two pieces back that they would be interested in. But as far as the fans know, could the tie cats just have sent Edmonton a guy to help them in their playoff run with a nudge, nudge, wink, wink? Hey, help us out down the road when the things have turned. Oh, I'm sure that, I'm sure it's been It's reg- happened before. I'm sure it's registered at the uh, CFL office who they got back in return. Yeah, but if but the CFL office 
the fans are the ones who would raise a stink about this. If it was, if you were trading C.J. Gable, who just had a great game, by the way, and showed he can still play, and you're getting two guys who were the fourth-string offensive linemen for a Division Three team in Dubuque, Montana, who never played the game before, who for some reason are on the neglis. Well, that that's that's a, an obvious. The, the, the whole idea of trades is not just in sports, not just in professional sports. Trades are not just to improve your team, although that is certainly a key part of it. They are also to inspire conversation, to be water cooler discussion, to get fans engaged in this league. And if you, th- that's, what's the thing that fans talk about? The, they've been talking about Johnny Manziel. They talk about trades and yet here you can't because you don't know who they got. You know what would even be a better trade? If they made a blockbuster trade with the Toronto Argonauts trading three negotiation list players amongst themselves and not being able to disclose who they were. Now, that would be a big trade. Yeah, we're, we've traded three negless guys for four negless guys, and we won. That's right. Clearly we won. Clearly and we won. And anybody you ask will know we won, and you know it's going to improve our football club. We it, just can't tell you who they are. It seems to me that the CFL shoots itself in the foot when it takes an opportunity to create discussion and hides it because it says you can't know who this person is yeah, or these odd, people are. But, you know, I mean, it, 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 it creates conversation right here. The question I'd want to ask is, is what's behind it? Because there's always a reason that they do things. They don't do them to say, hey, this is really dumb. Why don't we do this and confuse everybody? I mean, the CFL is a pretty good league. They're not doing those things for those reasons. It would be interesting be, to hear behind the thought process of how that come, came to be and what the rationale is. And again, I don't, I'm not arguing. I think there are valid reasons why the neg list is secret. I don't love it, but I, could, I, I, I know that those teams in the league could come up with, could explain why that neg list overall is secret. Well, one of the reasons I said. One of the reasons you said, for sure. One of the reasons is maybe the players don't want their names up there that they're being looked at by Canadian. Who knows what the reasons might be, but I'll I'll grant you that there are reasons. My point is when they are involved in a trade, that should be taken off the table. When 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 they're involved in a trade, we should be able to know who the trade is. Every other sport, the only other one I can think of is when they say for future considerations. But even then, when they say future considerations, you find out who the person is when that, when they've considered their future. What's the term they use when it? Oh, a conditional draft pick. Now, conditional draft pick generally, if the Leafs get a player and trade uh, Detroit a conditional draft pick, for example, if the Leafs make the playoffs, it goes from a fourth round to a third round, right? And or it's conditional on the team's success, success after making based the trade, on obtaining the player because they got a player and the other guy didn't get a player, right? And presumably he would enhance her playoff performance or position and standings, and it would improve the uh, improve the pick. Yeah, or you have in other cases we've heard of lottery protected picks now in leagues that have draft lotteries. So if it's a first round draft pick, it will be 2017 unless we actually end up in the draft lottery, and then it bumps to the next year. And so that's happened before too. But there there are things. But you know, I, what, I, you know what league has a great draft rule? The OHL. Where you can't trade your first you your first round draft picks. You can't picks. trade first round draft picks. It makes it far more creative. Anyway, that's well, it they, makes they it more, don't have negotiation lists. It makes it more creative and it tries to make sure that teams are not going to be horrible in perpetuity. 
right? Because you can't then, somebody shows up, you now, Don Robertson takes over as general manager, you get hired, and your first round pick for the next 17 years have all been traded. It protects himself against stupidity. You can still be stupid and you can still draft poorly, but at least you have a chance to try and get back on track, which is, you know, yeah, unlike you in still, some leagues. You can still pick a guy in the first round that should have went fifth round. Exactly, but, but at least you're not handcuffed like you would be in some yeah. leagues. I would just, I would like to see the CFL turn around and change this and say, look, if anyone's involved in a trade, their name is announced. They they come. They're still on the neg list, but at least they the the spotlight has to be shone on them because it's just a, it's a much it makes much more sense for the the league to get attention and frankly, as I say, to prevent. And I'm not saying this is what happened here, but to prevent teams from doing things behind the scenes yeah, that the fans the, don't become aware of. Again, the league is going to have to approve it, so it can't be. They didn't pick up the you, league, and, you and me. The league is never, almost never, I. going to step in if there's a lopsided trade because that could just be one general manager ripping off another guy. You could have one general manager who sees something else. It's going to be very uncommon for the league to step in and say, you can't make that trade. So that's it. it the only way these things make, the only th- way these things get called is when they're in the light of day. The owners take care of those trades. That's Doug Riseborough. Good point. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML. There was a, uh, a signing in the National Hockey League today, Don, and this, uh, what I, reason I wanted to ask you about this is with the Dundas Real McCoys, this guy would be old for your team. And he signed with the Calgary Flames today. Yaramir Yager signs for one year. I played junior with him. Did you, you didn't play junior. Yeah, well, you could have. I was gonna uh, for a second there. You had me. You're thinking yeah. where where did he play junior? It's been a long weekend already. Um, would you have signed Yaramir Yager if you were an NHL general manager? Would you sign a guy who's 45 years old and still seems to have some hands, but is very slow now when he skates? It would depend on what kind of team I have. Um, the Leafs have picked up a couple of veteran guys, uh, but they can skate. Ron, yeah, but they can skate. And uh, Marlowe, yeah, you're right, they can both skate. But it depends on what your team needs. I'm surprised there's a team in, well, St. Louis apparently, we're looking at them too. I'm, but, you know, if you've got a bunch of young guys and you can put Yager out there, and apparently he works his guts out before and after the game, he's in tremendous shape. Just the only thing you, you can't beat is father time. And he's fighting it pretty hard. Chelios did it. But it would depend on the chemistry and what you need in your dressing room because that would be a big component as far as I'm concerned. He's won Stanley Cups. He can The young guys can watch the price he pays. It depends on what you need. I don't think the Leafs need that. No, um, they want to go all pedal to the metal the whole time. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know Calgary's situation well enough. But there would be teams. I mean, actually, it wouldn't, the team I thought would grab him would be um, Vegas. Mm. He might sell some tickets. He's pretty personable kind of a guy. He's a legend. He's got all these points. Maybe and, they, they, and, and they don't need to be competing for a Stanley Cup this year. They're not going to be competing for a Stanley no. Cup this year. So you're right. That but you got a bit of sizzle. Yeah, yeah, that would have made a lot of sense. And staying in Florida. But, you know, Florida have to make a decision sooner or later that they're going to move on. But, you know, I don't know. Uh, to answer your question is, yes, I would if, if if the team I was running needed that type of a presence and I thought he could bring more because it's not a hockey signing. I mean, it's not just purely a hockey signing because there's going to be nights when he doesn't dress. 
But why Calgary? Uh, and, and when you say it's not just a hockey signing, that's why I'm asking why Calgary. This is not a market that needs to plump up interest in hockey. This is, this is a hockey market. Have you met Brian Burke? Well, Yermer Yager is not Burke, pugilistic or... No, but Brian Burke isn't, isn't beyond um, thinking outside the box. And for other reasons, I mean, who knows? Who knows what their total rationale was? I understand. And, and I was just reading a piece today on Calgary has all these young guys who have had great training camps who apparently are ready to make the next step, including Mark Jankowski from Dundas. Well, now, I don't know if it's Mark, I don't know if it's someone else, but you bring Yager in all of a sudden, and one of those guys who yeah. looks so good is now back in the minors. Now, I, okay, that offers you depth, perhaps, if someone gets injured. I get that. But I just, I, I thought it was an odd one. I, look, I'm happy Yager's still playing. If he can still play a bit, and he's 45, and he's closing in on a bunch of marks, he's going to end up as the second leading scorer, if he's not already, of all time, behind Gretzky. That's okay if Gretzky doesn't come back. Well, you know, maybe Gretzky wants to come back now. Maybe Calgary will sign him. That would be odd. He'll be in Hamilton next week. True enough. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't bet all the money you got that you don't see him in a real McCoy uniform after next Monday night. Oh well, that would be. Um, yeah, that would. I would bet all the money I've got. Actually, I will. I will certainly give him a chance to say no. Will you? You'll ask him. I ask everybody, Scott. <laughs> Look, if you. Um, if you could sign Wayne Gretzky to play senior hockey for the Dundas Real McCoys. I'm just trying to think of what I would say after that. I got I got no words. That would be that would be your greatest coup. I mean Rick Vive was pretty good. Yeah. Uh Vive was good. But but Wayne Well, especially when there's a team in Brantford. And that would really annoy the Brantford <laughs> team. You think? That might that's the best reason to do it. Okay, so we're playing general manager here. Um Let's move from Yaramir Yager. We have heard in the last few days in a different sport that apparently Josh Donaldson went to the Blue Jays brass and says, I want to sign here. But you know that if you're going to sign Josh Donaldson with his free agent year coming up one year from now, it is going to, I mean, he may want to be here, but he's not sticking around for chump change. It's going to be big money. Listen to the radio yesterday. I forget where I was going, but it was just before, it was Jay's talk. And they were talking about it, and um, I forget the, the guy's name who at Sportsnet that um, broke the story. Obviously, they're going to break their own story, right? And said, you know, he's he went to the GM two weeks ago, and he said, I really want to stay here and everything else. And I'm, and I'm doing what I do, going, that is absolutely brilliant if you're Josh Donaldson. Because I want to stay. So now the fans all know if he doesn't stay, it's not because he wants to be a Yankee. He wants to stay. Yes. And how did that come out? My point is that you're saying it's brilliant by Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson made sure it was known that oh, he wants to stay. Of course he told Or him. his person did. Told a guy in the media. Yeah. Or his person leaked of it in course. the first place, whatever. Here's the brilliance of it, though. So I really want to stay. All you have to do is give me $30 million a year for six years, and I'm your guy. And that's when you start going... Boy, I got something lumpy in my throat because right now all of a sudden he wants to do it, and I think I'm worth thirty million a year for six years, and I'll take a haircut on the last two years, pay me twenty five million, because I'm going to be thirty nine or forty one years old or whatever whatever he's going to be. I think strategically for him, it's absolutely brilliant. Problem is, well, let me go back to my question though. Would you do it? Because he will be. 
getting older in the last years. The Blue Jays don't look like they're going to be what they were for the last couple of years over the next two or three, which would be presumably, you would think, the last great years of Donaldson's career. He might still be an okay, maybe a very good player when he's 35 or 36, when they might be competitive again. How old is he now? 32. 31, almost 32. Okay. So and, and, and in baseball, there is a rule of 27 that is widely held, that 27 in baseball is your peak. That is that is when your your mental understanding of the game and your physical tools come closest to meshing. So he is already five years past the rule of 27 spot, if you believe in that. He also got to the league late. Yes. Right? So if the 27 is based on being in the league for six years, then if John Donaldson's only been a superstar for four, that means he's got three Maybe. good ones left. Uh, if he can maintain his physical ability, um, then what I would rather do, it's not my money, right? So I don't care. But I would look at it and say, rather than tie myself up till he's 38 or 39, I would say, you know what, you're, you're probably right. You're, you might be worth an average of $25 million a year, but I'm prepared to give you $35 million, but I only want you when you're going to be good. Except, Don, if you do that and you're already the Jays who already have to pay a premium to get players to come north of the border, it seems, and you're playing with Canadian money, that's really about 42 or $43 million for a player, and you've made the... You've set the, the, the bar now for what other guys are going to want when they come here. I think you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot to, to, to help yourself in the short term. Well, I mean, who's the, what other guy now wants to come here? Yeah, but, but did you, I mean, uh, like I said before, it's not my money, so I don't care if the dollar's a 10 cents, as long as I'm not going to Florida. But you understand, it's not my money. But they have a budget. And, uh, yeah, but the Jays are now one of the best drawing teams in the league. So here's, here's part and parcel of what you do now in sports. They have to determine what value he has at the gate as well. So if they hang on to him and somebody down at the uh, Rogers Center has got a calculator right going, he could be worth 8,000 seats on 50 nights, and somebody's doing the math and says, you know what, we did the analytics on the gate and the seats and the Donaldson shirts. Here's what you can pay him. Right. And if you don't pay him that, this is what it will cost you. So will it cost you more to pay him and keep the people in the seats or to let him go and have that many fewer people in the seats? Which one is the better cost I deal? Think, I think that comes into all of it. I mean, they're on a roll. They're, I mean, I don't think that it had the crowds uh, they had this year had people have known that they were only going to step out of the last place the last day of the regular season. No. There was great expectations. The pre-bought tickets. Yeah, I don't know why there was such great expectation because they had about six players that had career years last year. But, I mean, well, Jay Happ won, what did he win, 63 games last year? The expectations, he won 10 this year. Yeah, the expectations were because the pitching staff, the starting pitchers were so good last year and they were all basically coming back. And the other side of it was that you watched, remember in spring training, Jose Bautista, who had had that press conference about how he wanted to sign for these kind of numbers, had a great spring. And everyone's like, oh, he's going to have another monster year. And Donaldson's back. Well, so Aaron Sanchez gets blisters. And uh, what's his face? Uh, change up. Estrada gets his sore back again. And Donaldson wrecks his calves in the beginning of the season. And Jose Bautista's awful. And Tulowitzki gets hurt. And Martin gets hurt. Well, there's your season. Yeah, you can't play with that many good players for long stretch. Well, first of all, 
The Jays just saved seventeen million because they're going to give uh, Jose five hundred thousand dollar tip and say see you later. So there's seventeen million they're not spending. Again, they're one of the biggest draws. They're television contracts. Who cares if they're buying it themselves? Yeah. Well, and and this is yeah. They when you say they're buying it themselves, you're right. But that means all the advertising revenue goes right into their pockets. So yes, you're not getting someone to buy the rights. Like some of these places, the the teams will get tens of hundreds of millions of dollars for local well, the TV rights, the Yankees. But in this case, whatever money they make on on commercials goes right to them. So you're just selling the time on your stations. Back to my point, they have to sit down and not do the analytics on, on whether Donaldson can throw the ball to first base. They got to do the analytics on what's it going to cost the Blue Jays if it's not Donaldson throwing the ball to first base. I I, don't you hate that that's part of baseball now? And part of sports, period. It's I part mean, of it's, what they do. Like I said, I don't care. I'm not paying it's, them. It's reality. We all know that's what they're doing. But don't you hate that that is now yes, what it. sports has become? It's not who's it's a business. Our, I know. Who, it's not who is the best guy to have there. Who do the fans like? Who do we want? It's all, it all comes down to dollars and cents. Imagine, honestly, imagine if, and I'm not a Montreal Canadiens fan. I didn't grow up a Montreal Canadiens fan. But there's a lot of people who were. Imagine back in the 70s. If we translated our current sports business model to the Montreal Canadiens of the 70s when they had Lafleur and Robinson and Savard and Lapointe and Dryden and Cornwallier and Shutt and Ganey and all these guys, that team would never have existed. It would have existed for about two weeks. And, the fir- and then guys become free agents, and then Bob Ganey wants $8 million bucks a year, and then Robinson wants, well, i got to be paid higher than him, and Dryden saying, i got to be the highest-paid goalie in the league. And sport, how different would sports have been in the past if we had the same thing? The Edmonton Oilers of the 80s would never, they were, the Edmonton Oilers of the 80s were right at the very edge of this because they were the ones that started to, coffee went because he was getting the contract and Gretzky was traded because he was going to need big money and Messier left because of money. Sports as we know it, those great teams, we would have lost so much if we had had to have the every decision based on finances. Yes, and you look at Connor McDavid, now you talk about Edmonton and Wayne Gretzky. Connor McDavid on an open market today would probably be making $16 million a year. Yeah, if you're allowed to, because the NHL has a cap on what percentage you can make, and I don't know what the cap is, but he would be the cap. He would be right to the number. And he's not to the cap. Sidney Crosby didn't go to the cap. He went, ironically, to $8.7 million. But those guys in in a non-salary cap NHL would be making oodles of money. So that's how badly the owners won when they brought in the salary cap. Oh, could you, I mean, again, go back in time. If Wayne Gretzky was playing with the money that exists in the NHL today. He'd make 20 to 25 million. And if there was no salary cap. He'd make 20 to 25 million dollars a year. Easy, easy. And, And it wouldn't be the Oilers paying him. The Rangers or the Kings, ironically, two of the teams that he played for, yep. or the Leafs, frankly, maybe, would have said, yeah, you come here and you do that. Fletcher had him come and the Leafs said no, they didn't want to pay him. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's another sad story. That's, uh, yeah, it is. It is, but then, but, you know, you, I mean, when you, when, when you get talking about what these guys are making, it, se- it is seemingly wrong, but you know as well as I do that somebody at the Rogers Center is doing the cal- got the calculator out and said, "You're right." 
If we let them go, this is what happens. If we keep them, this is what happens. You're right. I'm just sad that we, as I say, I'm just sad that in sports that all the decisions are based on money rather than ability, possibility to put together a championship team, who the fans really want to cheer for, fan favorites, all that stuff. That, that to me, that's that's gone, unfortunately. Well, it's got rid of dynasties. I mean, look at how good the Chicago Blackhawks were. Is that, is that a good were. thing? We gotta no, go. I don't think it thing? is a good thing at all. I'd love dynasties. Me too. Fine. Nobody ever complained. Well, maybe a few did, but very few people complained when Tiger Woods was dominating golf. And if he was, if he comes back and can be Tiger Woods again for six months, the ratings go through the roof again. Of course. There's, dynasties are... Dynasties are a good thing for sports. The only people who don't like dynasties are the people whose teams are never the dynasties. <laughs> I mean, it's well, of course they are. It's like the Los Angeles Kings that trade Ralph Backstrom for the first overall pick, and the, and the Habs get uh, Guy Lafleur. Yeah, no, I, I look. It's it's a it is a it is a sad thing about modern sports that everything is related to business. It's reality. We're not we're not arguing to go back to those days. We know what the days are now, but it's. There are so many great things that we saw in the past the only that good could no- not exist now. The only good news is there'll be no more Montreal Canadian dynasties. That's a good thing. It would have been very odd, though, to see Ken Dryden wearing like a California Golden Seals uniform. Yeah, it would have been. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML. Don, let me, uh, let me throw this to you, and I didn't give you any warning about this, so it's off the top of your head. Seven <laughs> NHL teams begin their season this week. In what order, just among the Canadian teams, in what order will they finish from first to last among the Canadian teams? Edmonton, Toronto. That's it. The, the rest just <laughs> the rest don't done. finish the no, season? They're, they're going to be done. They're going to be in our league. Uh, probably Edmonton, Toronto, probably Calgary, Montreal, Winnipeg, Vancouver. Ottawa. Are, we gonna, are they still in? <laughs> yeah, they still. Couldn't let me write this down. <laughs> Ottawa. You know what? It's probably going to be Edmonton, Toronto. Uh, Carlson's out to start the year, so Ottawa's going to struggle. I think. Oh, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. But no, but they, I, I they'll like your end first up. Two. They'll end up ahead of Winnipeg and Vancouver, likely. I like your first two. Yeah, I think so. I like your first two. I don't think Montreal are going to be as bad as it looks like they're going to be. Claude Julien's a pretty good coach. I like Claude, but that's. I hope he does well. It might be me hoping he does well because I like him, but... Um, I think Winnipeg is going to be not bad. I Who? think Winnipeg is going to be not bad. Really? Uh, they're they're in tough in the West, but I would I would put, I would would think Winnipeg is going to finish ahead of Montreal. Edmonton, Toronto, Calgary, Winnipeg, Montreal, Ottawa, Vancouver. Yeah, Vancouver. Vancouver, Boy. man, they are they are in rough shape right yeah, now. Yeah, they might, might not make the playoffs in our league. Well, they're old enough to be in your league. The Sedines now, uh, I think they have grandchildren, don't they? Well, we don't have anybody as old as the Sedines. <laughs> it's, uh, there comes a point. I mean, I don't know what you do if you're an NHL general manager and you've got two guys. It's not just one. You've got two guys yeah. who are legends in your city. They've never won anything, mind you, but they're legends in their city and they seem like they don't want to go anywhere. Like, you got to believe that the Vancouver, I don't even know who's, what's his name? Um, Jim Benning. Thank you, Jim Benning. Yeah, former Leaf defenseman. you got to think he's there going, how do we get these guys to retire? 
because that would free up we a lot even, of dough. You can't even trade them. No, you can't you trade, trade them. them both. Yeah, you can't trade them. So like, they, they got twins. They're like Siamese twins. And you can't and you can't not sign them in Vancouver because you got nothing else. So you're just all you're hoping for is oh, would these guys please retire? So right I can now you trade them for somebody on the neg list. Yeah, on the CFL neg list. Yeah, yeah. We'll get we'll take two offensive we're gonna, linemen. We're gonna trade them to Edmonton. <laughs> I just I, I I I don't know what you do with those guys. Well, that those and they're 38 now, I think, and they they are well before their best before date, or oh, well yeah. past their best. Yeah, before no, we haven't date. got anybody that old. Uh, they can play with us, but um, they when you get boxed in and inherit contracts like that, that is like if the Jays to to do a. I guess it's not a segue, but talk about Josh Donaldson. If they sign him for too long and the new GM comes in and inherits him, you're going, well, what do you want me to do? He's eating $30 million a year of my budget, and he can't play. And that's kind of what Vancouver's always done. They've always conceded that they have no trade clauses. And by the way, even on top of the no trade clauses, you can't trade one without the other. Right. So now it was you, a brilliant move to to get to draft them together until you realize that now we've got two guys. It's it's uh, they've had ample opportunity yes. to split that up. You, it's whoever continues to do it is the one that is screwing it up. All right, so write this down at home: Edmonton, Toronto, Calgary, Winnipeg, Montreal, Ottawa, Vancouver is the order the Canadian teams will finish, and one of them I won't uh, remember next week. And I'm picking Vancouver will finish behind. The Vegas Golden Knights. Yikes. I think Vegas will not finish last this year. That's my pick. I'm not saying they're going to finish well, but in their expansion year, they will not be the last place team. Well, they, they got Flurry. They got they've you know, got like a decent you, goalie, you know, and they got you know, some okay defense. They've got good goaltending. Boy, he can he can make bad wingers look great. And you know what else they're going to have that's going to allow them to have a better defense than they should probably have credit for? You gotta believe down there in the desert with the heat that the ice is not always going to be great, which is going to make it difficult at times for other teams to make a lot of pretty plays on them, and it will it should help the should help them keep their goals against down. Yep. It'll make it hard for them to score, but it'll help them keep their goals against down. Do you know what else is gonna uh, make it hard to score down there? Casinos. <laughs> I'm glad you went with that answer, <laughs> and it wasn't a double entendre. <laughs> The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML. I know, I know that I'm probably supposed to talk about this tonight. It's been talked about all day long today. Justifiably so. Absolutely. Bill did a tremendous job this morning. Scott did a good job this afternoon. I, I know we're supposed to probably talk about what happened in Las Vegas last night. And I love, I, I love talking about the big stories of the day. I really do. If there's a huge story that comes up, I love doing that on this show, wherever that that's, that's not the issue. I got to tell you though, I am just honestly reaching a point where I am feeling fatigued by the stuff that is going on. which has sort of diminished my enthusiasm is not the right word. You don't want to be enthusiastic to talk about a story where I, the, the most recent numbers now, 59 people dead, 527 people injured. 
there's not an enthusiasm to talk about that, but as someone who's in on this side of the radio, on this side of the microphone, we want to talk about the big stories today. We want to be involved with you and chatting about these, but I'll tell you, I've, I, I've reached a point recently, I'll be honest, where I'm feeling fatigued by all the stuff that is happening that you just say, can we please just have a few days with nothing going on? So I don't know, maybe you share that. Maybe you are really, really engaged with this particular story. That's fine. Cause it, I mean, it is a huge story. I, as I say, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it tonight. Although, as I say, I know it has to be addressed. It is the story. And most of the time I would want to be, I really would want to be discussing this stuff. It's, it's kind of worn me out. And you know what really though has, on top of everything else, there is the very obvious, there is the clearly obvious horror of what's happened here. This many people who are affected in a way that is so tragic, it's that that's the obvious story. But there's a secondary part of this, and that is that it immediately in our modern contemporary culture, in our climate, it immediately not 10 minutes has passed and it spins and morphs into a political argument again. We have to have a, everything must be whittled down and distilled to a political argument now. It can't be enough that we say, let's take a few days and mourn the people who were killed. We have on the one side, the internet today was filled. I'm telling you, it was filled with stories that apparently are without merit, at least not as far as we know now, but it was filled with stories about this guy's connection to ISIS. And this guy was a Trump hater. And this guy had studied the shooting at the congressional softball game and wanted to imitate it. And these stories are, they're all over the web and they appear to be without merit right now. Maybe we'll find something out later, but right now there seems to be nothing. And on the flip side, immediately upon this thing happening, we have the gun argument, the gun debate starting up again, which I don't think anybody, I think you are very hard pressed. You would be very hard pressed today to say there's not some merit or some element of this that needs to be discussed in the gun debate. Even if you believe in the Americans' right to bear arms in the Second Amendment, I think there are it's a discussion that at least is a fair discussion point, but I don't know that we need to start having it while there is still smoke in the air from what's going on. But what really though, just wears me out about this is that this is not at its core. And this is where, what seems to be getting lost in all this. And this is what really is, is, I don't know is discouraging me at its core. A story like this is not a gun control story. That is a part of the story, but this is not a gun control story. This is not a gun problem story at its core. Any more than if you recall, and I know it's hard because there's just been so many things going on. But if you recall, just back in August, remember in August what happened in Spain, where the guy 
where with apparently with an ISIS flag in his truck, raced through Barcelona, wiping out pedestrians who were walking along the street. 13 people were killed that day and 100 were wounded when he crashed his car into a crowd, like happened in England. Well, n- that was not a truck rental story. And I'm not trying to be silly. I'm just saying, and, and in Edmonton, on what was it, Saturday night, Sunday night, when the guy hit the police officer in his car and then jumped up and stabbed the cop repeatedly. That was not a knife control or a knife problem story. These are all things we can have discussions about for sure, but at its core, what seems to be completely lost in the political screaming and yelling and hysteria that immediately follows this, and that's why it's so fatiguing. We should be mourning the people not immediately trying to turn this into something for political gain. Remember when Bill Clinton, remember Bill Clinton's guy, James Carville, remember James Carville? He had a line that said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Now he wasn't talking about a situation like this. I don't believe he was not that cold hearted. It was more a political crisis, but the reality is, though, we're, we're, we're t- taking everything and we immediately spin it into a political thing. This is not a gun problem at its core. This is not a truck running into people problem at its core. This isn't even a terror problem at its core. What this is and what nobody really wants to get to, I think, because maybe because nobody knows how to deal with it. This is a human problem. This is a problem of people hating other people. And I'm not saying disagreeing with other people. There's a difference. We, we lose that difference in our society now. If you disagree with someone, you are immediately labeled as hating that person. That's, those two are not equitable things. You are entitled to disagree with someone. You are entitled to have a strongly different opinion from someone. You are not entitled to run them over in a van or to open fire on them with a machine gun. But our society doesn't like to get to the core or the root of the problem with these things, these are not, the the method of delivery of the terror is secondary to the fact that we have a society now that is all about me. It's all about I. It's all about I am number one. I am the most important person. The world revolves around me. And if you have a different opinion from me, if you disagree with me, if you have a different philosophy from me, that's not allowed. And if you take it to the nth degree or take it to the furthest degree, it's about me. Therefore, you are in my way. Therefore, I am somehow entitled to eliminate or stop you from doing that. I don't know what the, what the reason was behind this thing in Las Vegas. I really don't, but we have a lot of people who believe that if someone offends me, That is the gravest sin, and therefore I have the right, I have the whatever, that I should be able to not be offended and stop you from ever doing that in whatever way is necessary. Most people would simply do it by calling them some horrible name on social media and starting a campaign against them. Other people, though, take it to extreme levels. But this is not about guns today. It's not about trucks. It's not about knives. It's not about bombs. It's not, it's about a human thing. And nobody wants to talk about that. We only want to deal with the surface stuff, which is why it's so fatiguing. Let me go to the phone here. Frank is on the line. Frank, how are you tonight? 
I'm fine. Uh, thanks, Brett. I know you didn't want to bring this up to a head, and it's been talked about all day, and it's, been, and it's not just today. It's been talked for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's what's happening to the world. And you well said in your in, in your recital here, the momentary recital you made, the problem, I see it, and I, I got a measuring device here at my age, okay? And let's not get into that for length of time, but the morals in our, in our world are diminishing, it, and it's twofold. The morals are diminishing, and the punishment for the lack of morals and not adhering to the law is too weak. You can talk about taking guns away. You can talk about um, containing people. But, you know, and you just mentioned a very valid point that it's all a me, me society. So, you know, we have to get to the point where we face this thing front and center and, and even starting with our kids. Get the morals instilled in them. You don't kill other people. That's just immoral. Now, if, you, if, you, if you're not afraid of your maker, you've got to be afraid of some form of authority. People aren't afraid of the police anymore. They criticize. They're not afraid of their teacher anymore because the, people, the, the parents talk about how bad their teachers are. They go on strike in front of their kids, so they lose respect. The growth of respect and morals is diminishing, Scott. That's all I want to say. And I think that is the, the basic common denominator of what's precipitating the world, the change of philosophy, the me, me, me. Killing other people because you're misinterpreting even your own philosophy. You're being hoodwinked into it. You see where I'm going? I do. Frank, I appreciate the call. Thank you. I, I really do appreciate it. it. It is, if you, if in our society, if it is all about me, if it's all about me, then anything that is not about me must be wrong. If it's something that I disagree with, it must be wrong. It must be stopped. And there are many people, the majority of people, I would argue, who can deal with this kind of stuff. But boy, it seems like the number of people who are unable to separate offense from needing to take some kind of action. I mean, look, on a much more minor scale, all right, we're not talking about anybody dying or anyone pulling out a gun or anything, but we chatted about this just the other day on the show. You have a speaker on a university campus. That person, because he espouses a view with which you disagree, we have reached the point now where the accepted behavior is shout that person down, prevent them from having their say, don't let them speak, and then call them all the names you possibly can and hopefully drum them right out of business. Make it so that they cannot teach because they are seen as some racist, sexist, homophobe, not this, not that. As opposed to saying, look, it, I disagree with that person, but ultimately they are entitled to have their opinion and I'm entitled to have mine. Now that's a minor case of this. But what are, what are all the other things that we're seeing? It's about someone has offended me, someone has done something to me, someone has aggrieved me. And therefore I need to, seemingly this is, this is what leads to some of these things. Seemingly that there is something that has happened and a response is needed. Unfortunately, we have enough people in our society who are not able to rationally obviously come to some sort of ability to work these things out in their own head and their response needed is something horrendous. But I just, I say, I, I, I really, I thought about this all, like all through the day today, I thought, 
you know, I, yes, we have to talk about it tonight. I understand that. And, and it is a huge story. It's a massive story. And it's a tragic story. And it's a horrible story. And it's not the kind of story that you run away from and say, well, we're just not even going to mention it. That's not, that's not the answer either. But boy, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm alone in this one. I don't know. Maybe I'm alone, but I just, I'm really lately feeling like, okay, all right, what's the next one going to be? This one obviously is the biggest and worst and most horrible thing we've seen recently on this side of the world. But boy, it becomes fatiguing and it becomes exhausting and it becomes, it becomes so repetitive. And it's truly, again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not arguing that we should not have discussions about guns. I'm not arguing that guns didn't make this easier. The method of how he did it is certainly up for discussion, I would believe, I would argue. But it's not the reason that it happened. Lots of people own guns. Lots of people drive rental trucks. Lots of people own knives and they don't go and try and harm people with them. Lots of people have fertilizer that they don't turn into bombs. There's lots of things that people do that don't, they don't use in nefarious or malicious ways. It's not the, it's not the thing that is the problem. It's maybe part of the problem. It's maybe the way it makes the delivery easier. But at the core of this is us. It's our society. It's what's gone wrong with us that I really believe. And you can fi- you can tell me I'm wrong. I Listen, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. You can disagree or you can give me a different perspective on this. I really believe that we have reached a point where It's so much, our society, everything we do is so much about us. We've been told it's about us. We've been told everything is about us, that when something is then done not for us or against us or that offends us, we don't, a lot of people, some people don't really know what to do with that. I'm going to leave this one alone at this point because I am, I am, as I say, maybe tomorrow I'll have a better head, bigger head of steam about this. Maybe tomorrow I'll have... More enthusiasm, again, that's not the right word, I understand that, but to be discussing this, maybe there will be some kind of twist in this story that we don't know about that will make this far more interesting or, again, interesting, wrong word, um, unique. But despite, other than the fact that the numbers in this particular thing are so huge and they are staggering numbers. But other than the fact that the numbers are so huge, is there any part of this that is surprising? Any part, is there anything in this that shocks you besides the numbers? In other words, is it surprising at all that somewhere in the world, it could be the States, it could be England, it could be Spain, it could be pick your spot around the world, it could be Australia. We've seen terror attacks. We've seen violence in recent weeks and months in all these places. Is there anything about it that really is surprising? Not to me, which again is why it becomes so fatiguing. It's The numbers are different. The numbers here are worse, but it's the same story over and over and over and over again which is just depressing and exhausting and 
makes me not really want to talk about it. I just did, but I, it'll be the last time I talk about it unless, as I say, something, something comes up that really changes the narrative here because it's, well, it's the last time we'll talk about it until the next one, I guess, right? And you know the next one's coming. It may not be in Las Vegas. It may not be in the States. It may not be in Canada. Who knows where it'll be, but you know it's coming. And that's, that's the part that makes this so fatiguing. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML.